Welcome back to another episode of The Insatiable Woman. I am your host, Evelyn Hale, and I'm here with my co-host, Caitlin Newton. And today is a very special episode because I get to show off my human design and astrology knowledge by giving Caitlin a reading. So I'm going to give her a reading that is designed to show you how I structure the way I, I read and to give you a framework that you can use for your own chart. So, I mean, there are literally hundreds of people out there that do these readings. So, you know, this might not speak to you and if not, that's totally fine. Um, but I just want to put this out there as another way of looking at your chart. It's if you're already into human design and astrology, it might not be anything new to you, but it might offer you some insights as to how to look at your chart um, because I have a kind of a structure to how I look at things. So that being said, we're going to dive right into the human design portion. And just for some background information, Caitlin um, and I have known about human design for about three years. And I have, I actually, when I first started learning, I, I learned by doing so when I first learned about human design, I got all the books, literally all the books. I read them all. I started to look at other people's charts and I was giving out these reports where I would kind of look at different aspects of their, um, their design. And I would type out, you know, what I saw and send it off to people. And so three years ago, I actually did a report for Caitlin. Now I can't remember at all what what it said in there because it was actually an old email address I and an old computer. I don't even have that file anymore. So I'm coming into this totally fresh today, having had three years of knowledge of the human design system. Um, and then as far as astrology goes, I've been studying astrology since I was 15. So literally over two decades and I love astrology. So astrology is definitely more deeply ingrained in my, in my, my, um, my psyche and my mind, but human design is also very cool. And I've learned a lot about it. So we're not going to go super duper deep into either one today, because you really could go so far into it, but, um, I'll start with an overview of human design, just in case you haven't heard about it. I think it's very popular now. So there's a good chance that you have, but let me just say that, uh, what is human design? So human design it's just like astrology, it's based on your birth time and it's a blend of a few different systems. So it blends astrology with the I Ching, with the chakra system, with the Kabbalah and with quantum physics and genetics, which is like, I kind of describe human design to people who don't understand it as astrology on steroids. Like you gave astrology steroids and it's just like pumped up. There's so much to it. And it, uh, I believe it was sort of, founded or channeled in the nineties by a man named Ra Uruhu. And you can learn, you can Google it if you want to learn more about it. Um, but basically human design is a system that helps to provide you with an understanding of yourself, just like astrology. It helps to understand how you should make correct decisions for yourself. There are five different um, types and authorities. And so you, you could be one of these different types um, and you have a different strategy according to each of the types. So we're just going to cover kind of high level for Caitlin right now. And we're going to start with um, her type. Now, 
as I said, there are five different types. So you can be either a manifester, a generator, a projector, a reflector, or a hybrid one, which is the manifesting generator. So it's like if you were partly manifester, partly generator, there's a manifesting generator type. That's the fifth type. So Caitlin is a manifesting generator. What it means to be a manifesting generator is that you are here to respond to life. So you're here to kind of take in the energy of the world around you and you're here to respond to that and to use your energy for the good of the community. And manifesting generators make up a lot of the population. It's actually pretty common to be either a generator or a manifesting generator. And I don't remember the statistics on it, but I, I want to say like maybe a third of the population is a manifesting generator. And then maybe another third is just a pure generator. Um, what distinguishes a generator from a manifesting generator is that the manifesting generators have a little bit more ability to influence and kind of direct the people around them. Whereas generators, as they as they say, at least in human design, they have a little bit less ability to inform and they're more, they're really more the worker bees of the community. But manifesting generators have a little bit more sway, have a little bit more influence because, because a pure manifester would be someone who informs. A manifester is somebody who just tells people, this is what I intend to do. And then the community buys into it. The community accepts it they want to support and, and go along with it. Um, but the, so the manifesting generator has a little bit of that energy. Um, I'll just pause there and see if Caitlin, you, if you have any questions on that piece. No, I think that statistic is right. I do think it's a third and a third and then the other three types make up the last third. Um, yeah, I, honestly, I, I was thinking about the reading you did too after this one. I'm going to have to dig that one out from my archive somewhere and just see how much you've like evolved in your reading since then, because this is so fun. But this is probably the thing I know the least about, like in the realm of like astrology, gene keys, and this. I, I don't fully understand this. So I'm excited to like hear it through something besides what I read on the internet. Right. <laughs> It's, it's, it's very dense and it's easy to get overwhelmed because when you're, for the listeners, what Caitlin is actually looking at right now, because I've got my screen shared, is she's looking at her body graph, which is, um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, it looks like a human body um, anatomy chart, but with chakras, like with different uh, shapes and colors and lines. So if you have never, and I mean, Caitlin's been looking at this for three years and she's still like, not, not a hundred percent sure. So if you're new to this and you go and you pull up your human design, you're going to be overwhelmed. It's very overwhelming. So that's why it takes time. Um, and I definitely recommend buying the books and doing all the things. If you, if you are feeling called, like there's lots and lots of resources available to you. So yeah, um, this is where, and if you don't feel called, like this is something I would like how Evelyn read all the books. This is not something I would ever like buy a book for. It's just not something that speaks to me to learn about personally. However, I do want to know this information. So this is where, if you don't feel like taking this on, just have someone do a reading for you totally just go pay for one um, because it's so valuable and it doesn't have to be something you become an expert in, but you can totally have somebody else um, do that for you. 
I'm very excited to announce that the podcast is now sponsored by the Magnetic Feminine Intensive, Evelyn's signature program for women who want to renew their relationships and inspire more masculine energy in their partners. This is a three-month intensive that takes you deep into belief work, trauma healing, embodiment practices, and artistic intimacy to transform your relationship from one where you're just two roommates doing life together to a hot and heavy, passion-filled and toe-curling experience of two people partnering together in devotional union. To learn more about this application-only experience, DM Evelyn at inner.light.healing on Instagram to see if you would be a good fit. Absolutely. And it feels so good to be witnessed. I've had, I've paid for a couple different readings and they have both been so valuable and I haven't necessarily gone back and watched the recording again. It was just the energy of feeling so witnessed and so validated. I totally agree. Yeah. So do treat yourself to that too. If that's something that sounds interesting, treat yourself. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Moving on with the human design, we talked about type and then there's a strategy. So for each of your, each of, each of the types has a strategy and the strategy, it basically tells you how to live your life. So Caitlin's strategy is to respond. Any manifesting generator strategy is to respond. And that basically means listening to your sacral center and the sacral center in the human design body chart is an energy center. And I won't get into all the energy centers, but basically energy centers exist to provide you with not only physical, but, you know, emotional and spiritual energy and give you that, that engine keeps you going. So that's why for individuals who don't have activated or defined energy centers, they are really meant to spend more time in reflection and Um, not necessarily solitude, but not actually working. So if you have an energy center, you can spend more time working. If you don't have an energy center, you can spend less time working. And what does that even mean? So with with every little piece I introduce, there's like 19 questions that you want to ask. You're like, what is an energy center? Um, It's not a physical thing. It's not as though Caitlin has a sacral area of her body and I don't, or like other people don't. It's more of in the system, you, we all have nine centers. We all have nine like energy areas and some of them are defined and some of them are not defined for some people. They're all defined for other people. None of them are defined. And then for most people, there's a blend. So if your sacral energy center is defined, it just means you have access to that energy. So Caitlin has access to her sacral energy and that's what is allowing her to respond to life. So for Caitlin and anyone who's a manifesting generator, you need to be listening into your sacral area and your sacral speaks to you again, according to human design, it speaks to you in the form of like a yes or a no. So you're going to feel either like a, they say it's, it comes through as like a, uh uh-huh or an uh uh-uh. So an uh uh-huh is like a, I want it. And an uh uh-uh is like, I don't want it. And it's almost like a leaning in or a leaning away. And me personally, I don't have a defined sacral, so I can't uh, testify to the accuracy of that. But I have been told and taught that that is how it feels for people with that sacral center is it's like a leaning in or a leaning out. And if you don't feel it, it could be that you're just not tuned into it. You're not listening to it. You're not aware of it. Or um, it could be that there's something else going on for you with your chart. So Caitlin, do you feel that? 
energy? Yes. And I remember when I first heard this concept, this is where I get like, I'm like, what does this mean? Like to respond. Um, but when I first heard that concept, it like brought my awareness more to that area because I was like, well, I have no idea what that means. Um, so I started focusing more on that. And now that I've kind of been aware of it for a couple of years, it almost at this point, I would describe it as like, an opening and a closing, even the way that you just did the uh-huh and uh-uh in your body language. I'm watching you on camera, you know, and your body language was like open close yeah. for each of those. And that's kind of how I more recognize it now as like, I'm opening and like joyful to this or like, I'm like, mm, I don't know, I'm kind of closed off to this. Like, so there's, it, it feels more like that to me at this point. Like that's how I put it into my experience in words, but yes. Yeah, definitely. And there are other strategies for other types. So for example, like a projector, I'm a projector type. My strategy is to wait for the invitation. So instead of listening into my stake role and waiting for the, uh uh uh-huh, I'm supposed to wait for an invitation from outside me. And that could look like someone saying like, Evelyn, do you want to be on my podcast or do you want to go to dinner? And then I can tune into my, um, my authority, which we're going to talk about authority next. So Caitlin is not necessarily needing to wait for an invitation. She can just check in with herself and see, is she feeling open or closed? But I actually think it's a good practice for anybody of any type to just listen to your body because your body is always telling you yes or no. So I don't think it's limited to her, but um, there are some nuances in the types. So, so then moving on to authority. Now authority is a, I, and I know if people are out there are like literally like human design experts, they might have a different opinion than me, but my interpretation after three years of studying this is that authority is kind of a layer on top of strategy. So your strategy is one thing, but then your personal authority tells you how you can actually honor that strategy. So if Caitlin's strategy is to respond and listen to her sacral, her authority is her solar plexus or her emotional center. So what that means is for anyone with an emotional authority, which is about 50% of people, you have to honor your cycle. So people with a defined solar plexus, which is the emotional center, they go through a a wave. So you'll go through like an up and a down on a very regular basis. Now, some people have like a 24 hour cycle of like a peak and a valley. And some people have a three day cycle. And there's really, I can't tell you what that is, but you will have to figure that out for yourself of how, like, what is a full length of my cycle? And you have to wait for that whole cycle to complete before you make a decision. So for example, if I said to Caitlin, Hey, do you want to, um, start a a business with me? Well, I mean, that's actually a huge question. So let's do a little bit lighter question. Um, maybe you're trying to decorate your house and you want some new curtains and you're like, I'm, I think I want to do some really bright colors instead of making the decision on the high, because you're going to be like, Oh my God, I love this color. I'm going to go to Lowe's and I'm going to get the paint. You're going to want to wait until you've had a complete cycle because you, you can't necessarily trust the highs because the highs are very high and the lows are very low. So you have to wait for that whole cycle to complete to, to see, okay, well, I really love the idea on Tuesday, but on Thursday, I wasn't really feeling it, but now it's Friday and I still think it's a good idea. So I'm going to do it. Does that make sense? 
Yes. And this is where this kind of thing is really validating because I do, I'll get like really excited and like worked up and then I'll like kind of taper down and be like, oh, okay. That was like, you know, kind of levels me. And I, I still do this where I, um, I'll make a decision off something small, like a, a home decorating item or like a shirt or something that I'm like, oh, this is recently. Okay. Most recently I bought this like jumper. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a romper, but the legs are long. So I think it's called a jumper. Um, I bought this and wait, let's talk about the homeless person looking jacket that you bought. That is so ugly. <laughs> I still feel good about that one. You do? I haven't, but I haven't worn it. So maybe I don't. <laughs> I'm going to keep my lips sealed then. Okay. Continue no, on the, on the romper. I do this with clothes. So there are three things I own currently that I bought on a high and that jacket's one of them, <laughs> the jumper and then this dress. And I bought all three on like this high and it's been months like for most of them. And I haven't worn them yet because now that I've like leveled off, I'm like, no, this doesn't feel good or exciting. Like I could see why I would be excited about it at one point. I'm like, but this isn't like, this isn't me. Like, <laughs> And now I'm stuck with them. So yeah. Yeah. So that anyone with an emotional authority, which again is like half of the population, you have to tune into your cycle and, and allow yourself that time and space, especially if you're um, like, let's say it's a job and invitation or a job opportunity and they offer you the job. It might feel critical that you make a just like a split second decision, but for you, especially if you have this defined solar plexus, it's not a good idea for you to make a split second decision. It's really not for, especially for important things. You really want to give yourself a few days to ride that, ride that wave and then make your decision from that place. Uh, because if you are in a high, then you, and you say yes, and then your wave completes and you make, and you change your, your feelings change, then you're stuck. So you want to avoid that. Okay. So then one more piece with human design, and then I'm going to switch to astrology. There's so, so much you can do in human design that I'm like, I really am just scratching the surface, but I just want to talk about profile. So the profile is your, um, I think of it as kind of like your personality signature. So it's a, it's a little bit like your type, but it's just a different angle of the type. So with the profile, you have two numbers. So you're going to be either um, like a four, six or a one, five or one, three or a three, five, I'm going to have some combination of numbers between one and six in the, in the two numbers. So Caitlin is a three, five. And the first number relates to your conscious self, like who you take yourself to be in the world. The second number relates to your unconscious self or who people take you to be in the world. And this relates back to within human design, there is a uh, design date and a birth date. So you put your birth date in and that is your conscious self. Your design date is I think 88 days before you were born or something like that, like 88 or 90 days, basically three months before you were born is considered your design date according to the system. And the design date is kind of representing your unconscious self, the parts of you that have, have yet to be integrated into your personality. And that's why we're here is to integrate and um, really learn about ourselves. So the first number 
of your profile, again, is the conscious, like what you take yourself to be. The second number is what other people see in you that you might not actually see yet. Now for Caitlin, her three, five is the martyr heretic. So the, the numbers in the profile relate back to the I Ching and the I Ching is an ancient divination tool, um, which there's a kind of a little, I don't know what you call it, like symbol with three, with, um, three lines and you can have split or straight lines. I'm not the best person to explain the I Ching. So go Google it if you want to learn more about it. Uh, but basically the three is a martyr. And what that means to be a martyr is that you're here to kind of go first. You're here to go first and try all the things and not to literally martyr yourself, but to be the one who is willing to like suffer for the sake of the community and do all that learning and then bring it back to the community. And then her second number, which is five relates to being a heretic. And what that really means is that she's going to be controversial. People will, she will be ahead of the curve. She's ahead of the time. She, people will look at her and think that's so taboo. How could you say that? Um, where, you know, other people just try to spend their time fitting in. Caitlin is here to try out, try out all the things, bring them back, but then people aren't necessarily going to welcome her with open arms. They're going to go, Whoa, like that's, that's intense. Like that's a bit much, but through her profile of the three, five, she's bringing new fresh energy into the community and allowing people to learn. Basically she's, she's benefiting the group through her own suffering. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> so much sense. And I, I know that this is trial and error. I've known that for three years, um, but I've never heard it explained that way. And that makes so much sense because I will regularly engage in conversation with new people and I go straight for like really intense and like arguably personal questions. <laughs> and like, I don't have any other setting. And I, I do, I definitely do that. Like with trying out new things, doing things that like, you know, my family doesn't necessarily understand or that I don't share a large portion of on social media yet. I'm like <laughs> taking baby steps on that because it feels so like out there. Yes. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, so for the listeners, there's a lot more to human design that I'm not going to go into because it's super overwhelming. There's gates and there's channels and there's incarnation crosses um, and then you can even combine your chart with other people's charts and see how you kind of interplay with each other and the, the lines or the channels that you create together and all that stuff. But that's, that's definitely a topic for another day or possibly just another podcast, a podcast that specializes in human design. Um, but if you're just getting started, this is kind of a rough outline of what you want to look at. So we're going to switch over to astrology and I'm going to start with what I see when I first look at a chart. So now I don't know that I need to explain astrology to anybody, but basically astrology is a, a map of the stars and the planets at the time you were born. It doesn't have any earlier date, like human design takes that design date, the quote unquote design date. Astrology doesn't have anything like that. It's just the time you were born and it's the map of the the stars and the planets at the time you're born. So what we're looking at, uh, what Caitlin's looking at rather is her natal chart. And we've got 
it sort of looks like a pie. So it's like a pie divided into 12 slices. And inside the pie, there's planets. And Caitlin, have you seen this before? Yes. Okay, so you kind of know what you're looking at here. Um, you've got planets inside the slices of the pie. And then on the outside wheel, that's the zodiac. So we've got all 12 signs of the zodiac. And whenever I first look at a person's natal chart or birth chart, I look at the uh, like the clusters of where the planets are. So when I look at yours, I notice all of your planets are clustered in into six houses. So six slices of the pie. You have almost all of your planet. Well, actually you do, you do have all of your planets in this cluster of six houses that are clumped together. And that's sort of in astrology, that's called a bundle chart. So in, when you're looking at the shape, the bundle means that you have an extreme focus in that, in those areas of life. So in those houses and yours begins in the 11th house and it goes down to the fifth house. So you have extreme focus in the themes of 11, 12, one, two, three, four, and five, those houses. Um, I guess technically that's seven. Why can't I count? That's seven houses. Anyway, that's still a big focus. Um, and you can see that up here, you've got this thing called MC, and then you've got this little other symbol. That's the South node. Those aren't planets. And I might not get into those today, but those are not planets. So we don't have to consider those being part of the bundle. They're not, they're not planets. So, um, yeah, so we'll talk a little bit more about like the houses and the planets and all of that. The other thing I noticed in your chart is if you think of the wheel of the natal chart as being uh, like a, a northern hemisphere and a southern hemisphere, if you think of it as almost like a globe, the northern hemisphere of, a, of the wheel is meant to be more public. Like if you have all your planets in the northern hemisphere, then you're considered more of a public figure. If you have all your planets in the southern hemisphere, you're considered, uh, you're supposed to spend, or not supposed to, but the chances are you're going to be more introverted. You're going to spend less of your life in the limelight and more in a private space. So you have more planets in the Southern hemisphere in the lower half than in the upper half, meaning you probably have more of an inclination to be in a private space than in the public. Okay. Now we'll get into the individual planets next and how, so this is my formula for the listeners for reading a birth chart. I start with, I have three things we look at and any astrologer will, will do this. You have a, what, a, how, and a, where, so we have planets, we have signs and we have houses. The planets are the, what, so the planet, like Venus, the sun, Mars, Mercury, those are planets. That's the, what, so we, when we get into the interpretation the think of it as the planet is the, what that is acting. It's like a stage. The sign, which is the zodiac sign, so we've got like Virgo, Venus, Sagittarius, Capricorn, that's the how. So that is like how the actor is portraying his or her role. And then we have the houses, which are the where. So it's where is the actor playing out their character? What is that stage? What is the stage? That's the where. Um, so we're going to look at planets, signs, and houses. Now, first, the first thing we're going to look at, it's not a planet. It's your rising sign, also known as your ascendant. It's not the planet. It's the um, point at which the sun was on the horizon when you were born. So it's that degree of the sign that uh, the sign was in at the time you were born. So that degree for you 
landed in Libra. So you are a Libra rising and what the, what the ascendant or the rising really is, is it's how you appear to the world. It's the mask you wear. It's not necessarily like a mask that you've chosen. It's not like you decided I'm going to wear this mask. It's just what people see you. It's that first impression. When people meet you, they just, I mean, everybody does this. If you just see somebody on the street and your snap judgment of them, what is that snap judgment? So yours, that first impression of you is Libra and Libra again, getting into the how, what is the flavor of Libra? Libra is cooperative. She's balanced. She's fair. She's diplomatic. She's harmonious. But at the same time, the, on the more negative side, she can be very indecisive. She can um, be overly delicate. She can give away her power. She can be, she can straddle the fence, not make a decision. And so people might see all of those things about you. Do you want to weigh in? I see you smiling. <laughs> it's just funny like hearing it because that's so accurate. Um, I, I would say it's pretty, uh, pretty spot on. Yeah. Okay. So Libra rising. Oh, the other thing I forgot to mention before we dive in too much deeper is the balance of masculine and feminine. Now, earth and water signs are considered feminine in astrology and fire and air signs are considered masculine. I would take that with a grain of salt because it doesn't mean that your default energy, your core essence is one or the other. It's really just the energy of the planets. So if you have an overwhelming amount of masculine planets, it doesn't mean you're going to be a masculine essence being. It just means that the influence of those planets is masculine on you. So you having so much Libra, Libra is an air sign and air signs are masculine. You do have an influence of a lot of masculine in your chart, more masculine than you do feminine. Um, just from looking at it. Um, okay. So then we're going to move into the sun, the sun sign. So, and another thing that I look at is the personal planets versus the, um, uh, outer planets. So personal planets are planets that move quicker and they call them personal planets because they have more of an effect on your personality versus the outer planets are the more generational planets, the planets that move slower. They move like one sign every 20 years. So like Pluto, um, Neptune, Uranus, Saturn, those are outer planets. Those are more generational. So you could have a friend who was born in the same year, but they were born like eight months later, who has the same sign and the same, um, in, you know, in Saturn or one of those outer planets versus the personal planets. It's, it's more, unlikely that you'll have friends who have all the same personal planets and the same sign in the same houses. So this is why they're, um, they're actually more important. So if you're going to look at just any, if you're going to start reading your chart, focus on your personal planets, focus, those personal planets are sun, moon, Mercury, Venus, and Mars. There's five. So those are the first five we're going to go through. So start with the sun. Um, so your sun sign is what, any horoscope is going to give you. So if you look in the newspaper, not that people read the newspaper anymore, but back in the day, if you look to the astrology section, the horoscopes, that was your sun sign. So that is just one aspect of your birth chart. And people often just confuse all of astrology with just this one piece, but it really is just one piece. But your sun sign is your ego, your basic personality, your consciousness, um, it represents your kind of your vitality and your stamina. 
And so for Caitlin, her son is in Virgo. Now Virgo is an earth sign. So that means it's more feminine. So her, her basic personality for Virgo is very practical. Virgo is practical. It is discriminating. It is meticulous, organized, helpful, economical. And the more challenging aspects of Virgo is it can be petty, picky, judgmental, nitpicking, obsessive, compulsive, and neurotic. So those are all aspects of Virgo. Now, then we have to look at where. So where is this actor of Caitlin's personality playing out? It plays out the most in the 12th house because over here, um, Caitlin, you can see, can you see my mouse moving? Yeah. Okay. So that's your son and it's in the 12th house right here. So playing out in the 12th house means it's playing out in, in your subconscious, in your dream world, because the 12th house is all about dreams and your subconscious. And it also even has to do with things like your enemies. Um, it could have to do with things like sickness, um, hospitalizations, loss, seclusion. So those are some themes that might play out in your life, in your, in your personality, like things that you are even interested in. Um, and the other interesting thing about your son is that it's conjunct, meaning it's close to this other point, which is called Juno. And I, I don't want to dive too deep into Juno, but just to say that when your planets are conjunct, meaning they're like within zero to eight degrees of another planet or, or a point, that they have an influence on them. So your son is being influenced by this. I can't remember. I can't remember if Juno is an asteroid or a planet, but whatever, um, whatever category that falls into, Juno represents marriage. So Juno is a is a theme around marriage. So you have some tie between your sun sign and this other planet or asteroid, Juno, that has something to do with marriage. So marriage is a theme in your life as well. So what's like an example of how it would be influenced by that? It's more, I would say it's more of like your, one of your life themes is around how do you marry things? How do you marry a, either an actual person or how do you marry concepts together? How do you um, marry individual aspects of self, especially because it's playing out in the 12th house of the subconscious? Like how do you integrate? Um, you might even have wounds around marriage, around getting married, fears around getting married, or like intense desires to get married as like a solution to the disintegration. I mean, I, I also know a lot about you. So that's kind of, it's a harder to read for someone that you know really well, because you're being, in, I'm being influenced by what I know about you, you know? That's true. And that is like, I would say one of my biggest fears in life is, and this is a you know, no offense to anyone listening, um, but is marrying like, quote unquote, the wrong person. And I know that's like, so boiled down to something that really isn't accurate or anything. But I think coming from so much divorce on both sides, like multiple divorces for my mother, for my grandparents, like everybody's like mega divorced. So it's like just a real big goal of mine to not get divorced, <laughs> but, uh, but to also be happy, not just stay through to not be divorced, but that's a big fear of mine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that is the sun. So let's move into the moon. Now the moon represents your unconscious, your emotions, your instincts, your habits, and your moods. 
and your moon is in the first house right here and it is in the sign of Libra. And you can also see that you have five, well, four planets plus the ascendant. You have four planets in Libra, um, all in the first house. So you have a lot of themes of Libra and a lot of themes of first house things. So um, the moon as a planet, again, represents your emotions, your moods, your instincts. Being in Libra, again, that's gonna put you in that um, cooperative place, that desire to be balanced, the desire to be fair, an instinct towards those things, an instinct towards diplomacy, harmony. Um, at the same time, you can be in your emotions, you can be de dependent on other people. You could be codependent. Um, you can be wishy-washy. Um, you can give away your power and not have any boundaries. That's the downside of Libra. Um, but it being in the first house, the first house represents yourself, your personality, your character. It even represents your appearance and your body. So when you think of those aspects of life, of self, you want to appear as, as Libra. You want to appear as the positive aspects of Libra, as somebody who is very fair and balanced, who always does take into account other people's appearance or other people's um, opinions and feelings. And you want to physically show up that way as well. So like in your, the way you dress and the way you do your hair, you're going to want to look the part of somebody who is balanced, who is not like crazy in the, in the way you dress as much as maybe you bought those clothes. You mentioned earlier, like you bought those clothes on a high on a wave you didn't actually end up wearing them because maybe they were too out there for you. All three were too out there. Yep. Yeah. So the tendency for Libra, especially in the first house is that you're going to want that, that balance and what people think of you is going to matter intensely to you. Um, so then Mercury is our next planet. We're going to look at Mercury is a planet that represents your mind, your intellect, the way that you communicate, um, your, your overall intelligence, your, your language abilities. So this is again in Libra. So applying all of those aspects of Libra to your communication style, to the way you think, it's just another reinforcement of your Libra nature, just saying that you're, you, it goes so deep into the core of who you are. And it is also in the first house. So these themes are just kind of being amplified. We could basically say that you are Libra in your sense of self, you're Libra in your sense of your intellect, you're Libra in the way you communicate, you're Libra in your emotions. Um, and then we'll go into Venus. So actually, well, Venus is in another planet. So I'm actually going to skip down. I'm going to skip down to Mars. And then I'm going to go to Jupiter. And then we'll come back to Venus. So Mars is another one right here. And it looks, if, if you, if the listeners were looking at your chart, it looks like it's cutting down into the second, or it looks like it's cutting down into uh, this next sign here, but it's not, it's just that they couldn't fit it all in. And it's in 23 degrees of Libra. So we know it's in Libra. Okay. So Mars is the planet of aggression. It's the planet of action, of competition, courage, and passion and sex. And it's again in the first house. So how do you express yourself through your actions, your desires, your 
com competition, how competitive are you through your sexuality? You do it in a very Libra way. The way in which you like demonstrate your courage, you do it in a very very Libra way. So I would say probably you probably do it in a more tentative way. Like you probably want to come at your desires, the things that you want sideways, maybe not head on. Maybe you come at them sideways. Maybe you kind of test the waters to see, is it okay? Is it okay that I want this? And then if it is okay, then you can go forward and get it. But you're always considering how are my actions or my desires going to be welcomed or not welcomed by the people around me? I'm literally going through that right now with like a certain area of my life that like, it's something I've always had like an inclination for and like a desire, like since I was a child, but it's always like something that has inconvenienced others. So like my family would never be like, like wouldn't let me live in this way. Um, and so I was doing a guided meditation the other day and like the guided meditation wasn't even about this, but the message I got for myself was like, what if you went all in on yourself, including like the things that you want? Like, what if you just owned them? Like, it doesn't matter. And for me, like, I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I am setting like a container for myself of like a month to really go all in on like a couple little things that I've really just wanted forever and haven't done because I'm like, mm, this isn't practical or like, this is going to inconvenience my family or whatever. That's so good. Yeah. I mean, now would be a good time not to interrupt the, the flow, but I think this is important to say for the listeners that whatever energy you're working with or that you, that you kind of embody. So for Libra, for, for Caitlin, that's Libra for whatever is your like predominant energy. If you have one, the antidote to that is the opposite energy. So the antidote to Libra is Aries. Aries is the opposite sign of the Zodiac from Libra. And you have nothing in Aries. You have zero Aries. <laughs> you have no Aries in your chart, except for the fact that your seventh house is in Aries. And so you need to be, I feel like your soul has come here to understand how to be more Aries in a way, um, just because of the predominance of Libra. So Aries is very, very good. It's a bold sign. It's fire. It's the go-getter. It's I go first. It's I am, as opposed to Libra is like, we, we are, uh, Aries is very much I, me, um, it's also really interesting that it's in your seventh house because the seventh house is the house of partnerships and marriage. So Aries, your the flavor of your partnerships is very self-centered and that's okay. Like it's, it's totally okay. Like that's part of your nature is to have that, like, I want to be served in the relationship. And so you'll need to call in a partner who wants to serve you. And because your nature is to serve others, you need to learn how to be served. And that's going to be really, really uncomfortable for you. But that seems like where you're going to need to kind of go if you want to evolve. Just for clarification, when you say that it's in the seventh, seventh house, which has to do with like partnership and marriage or however you worded it, does that mean like how I have to show up in partnership or is that more reflective of like an ideal future partner? It could be either or. I mean, I could interpret it either way. I think that you might be looking for that, but I also think just knowing how many planets you have in Libra that you need to embody that. And if you externalize that inner question, so you have this inner question, right? Of how can I get my needs met 
while also still being loved. Mm. And if you place the the question in your partner by having them be the Aries one who's the bold one you're almost bypassing your own lesson your lesson is to become the one who can get their needs met without without um people pleasing so this might be a unpopular opinion but i think that you need to do that for yourself i think that you need to um embody not that you have to go out and like be all Aries all the time but i think Sometimes we search out the person that has the qualities that we need, and then we don't do our work. That's so true. And you know this about me, but I think this is funny because I have like this tiny obsession with Scott Eastwood and he's an Aries. So I just oh. think it's so funny. So from a distance, there's something about Scott Eastwood that like, you know, I got to channel that a little more. Right. It doesn't mean that you can't marry an Aries, but don't let them be the answer to your inner question. Love that. Yeah. Okay. So then Jupiter is the last one in the fourth, in the fourth house that we haven't touched on yet. Oh, the, sorry. In the first house that we haven't touched on the uh, Jupiter is an outer planet. So it's more of that generational energy, but Jupiter has a lot to do with luck. It's a planet of growth, of expansion, of abundance, of optimism. So having that in your first house makes you more optimistic about all those Libra flavor things about like love, like Libra is also about love. It's like, you're going to be so optimistic about love. Um, it also relates back to sense of self. So you're going to be optimistic about yourself. You might have a very positive self image of yourself. You might feel more confident because Jupiter is there. Um, I don't know. Do you feel that way? 100%. I think that's, that's a huge part of my personality, like super optimistic about stuff like that. And yeah, you know, there are definitely like some like little shadow pieces, but overall I am very much like a, a glass overflowing kind of person. Yeah. Yeah. And then especially relating to a sense of self, like, um, I don't know if you feel comfortable sharing, but like, do you feel like you have more or less body image issues than the average person? Um, I think I have less. Okay, cool. So that, yeah. I mean, that does seem to be the case in your astrology. Then again, there's also like aspects. So it's like how, what degree aspect do you have towards some other planets? Are there any opposition? So we could look deeper and see if you did have body image issues, why? Because just looking at the planets, it seems like you feel pretty good about yourself. But if you were, if you were actually feeling not, and we could look at why, but um, yeah. So having, you've got Mercury, Mars, or yeah, Mercury, Mars, the moon and Jupiter all in Libra, all in the first house. That's your Libra stellium plus your rising sign is Libra. Um, so you are just, just oozing Libra energy. And um, Libra is also your, uh, so wherever your, wherever your ascendant falls, which is the, the rising sign, that is your chart ruler. The, the ruler of your ascendant is your chart ruler. So the ruler of Libra is Venus. Venus is the planet of love. So essentially Venus is your master. <laughs> you, you obey Venus. And we look at Venus as being like one of the key core themes in your life. Now we're going to move on to Venus because Venus is not in the first house. So although all these planets are in the first house and it's in Libra, 
the ruler of Libra, we have to look at where the ruler of Libra is. So the ruler of Libra is actually up in your 11th house over here in the sign of Leo. So when you look at it that way, your master is Leo. Your master is living in Leo. Your master is like, it's like the sign of love living in this just expansive, like, like showy Libra Leo energy, this like lioness energy. Um, and it's also in the 11th house, which is the house of friends and groups and alliances and future generations. And how do we make the planet a better place for the rest of the world? So you're going to have just this overwhelming desire for beautification and purification and just overall optimization of the world around you from this place of like abundant love, just like picture the goddess of love, but like, she's all, she's wearing gold. She's wearing gold and her hair is like just curly and blonde and like radiant. And she's just like shining gold because that's Leo. Leo is like gold and it's, um, it's dramatic and it's got like, it's flamboyant and it's flare and it's, it's just like expansiveness. So that is, that's your ruler. That's your master. I feel so seen by that. That is like the most me thing I've heard summarized in like a little couple sentences. Um, I definitely, I definitely see myself in that. I always ask people, like, I'm always curious about how people think they can like impact the world. And a lot of people don't think about stuff like that. So they're really off put by that or confused or defensive because they don't have an answer. Um, but to me, that's natural. And I told you this actually like two or three weeks ago, but when I was a child, I would have nightmares or panic attacks about where all the trash went on the planet because I was in like, I'm talking five years old, like a child, um, because I was worried that it was gonna like, it was gonna be too much. And like, I pictured it like stacking up and like touching the sun, like it was gonna be just too much. And like, how are we gonna function with all this trash on a planet? And like, I had no concept of like global warming or climate crisis or anything. It was just something I was naturally deeply concerned with. <laughs> and like, oh my God. things like that all the time. That's so cute. Yeah. So your ruler is in the 11th house, um, in the sign of Leo and Venus. So Venus being your ruler, the Venus is a planet that's all about love, attraction, relationships, art, beauty, harmony. So those are all themes that you're passionate about, that you're driven by and Leo. So the positives of Leo is that it is very self-confident. It is radiant. It's regal. It's self-expressive. It's creative. It's generous. And it's that, excuse me, it's like that celebrity that you just love to love that just, just seems like they can do no wrong. But on the flip side, Leo can also be very prideful. It can be vain. It can be pompous. It can be egocentric, melodramatic, and that is your ruler. So if you, I, I like to think of the chart ruler as being like my boss. So if I have a boss who on the one hand is like so generous and so giving and so radiant, and I just want to be all of that, but then sometimes they're melodramatic and they're prideful and they're pompous and they're egocentric. Well, then that just, that's just a piece of them. Like, it's just something for you to understand. Like, do you, do you then hate your boss? Or do you see them as a whole person and you see like, okay, I take the good with the bad. I see that they're working on themselves. 
um, I'm going to accept these things about them? Or do you shun those things in other people because you haven't accepted that, that aspect? That's also very interesting. I, I have a uh, half siblings, but I grew up an only child. So I definitely think, and I still, I'm 28 and I still sometimes say, like, I have to find myself excusing my behavior by saying I grew up an only child because I do, I sometimes do things that are kind of like egocentric, like uh, a child does, like when they don't understand the world outside them. And I'll have to like hold on for a second and zoom out. It was actually one of the hardest parts in my longest relationship. Um, he had grown up with like a bunch of brothers and I grew up an only child. And I remember like living together and like having to learn how to share in my early twenties. And I was like, what is this? Like, <laughs> it was, it was hard for me. So yeah, I definitely see those themes in my life. Oh my gosh. That's so funny that you said that because now I'm looking down at your third house. Cause the third house represents your siblings and you know, sense of sharing. Um, it also has to do with communication and like local travel and things like that. But, but in terms of siblings, your third house is where your North node lives. Your North node is like where you're trying to go in this lifetime. The lessons, some of the lessons you're trying to reach are the themes of like, how do I be in partnership in, with siblings? How do I be with siblings? Um, it's also with the flavor of Sagittarius. Your third house is in Sagittarius. Sagittarius is about truth, authenticity, um, bluntness, being blunt. So those are things you, that you don't have innately. They're not qualities that you innately have because you are so so Leo, or sorry, you are so Libra, um, that it's going to be really hard for you to bring in those qualities, but that's medicine for you that you need. Um, okay, so then we'll talk about, really quick, we'll talk about Saturn, Um and the rest of the, the outer planets. So Saturn is over here in the fifth house and it's in the sign of Aquarius. Saturn is the planet of structure, of rules, regulations, self-discipline, um, your ambition. And it's where you can start to see not only your limitations, so like where do you stop yourself, but then what are the obstacles that you kind of face in life and how can you... Um, well, it'll show you what the flavor of those obstacles are in like inner and outer, in an inner and outer way. So Saturn being in Aquarius, Aquarius is an air sign. And again, air signs are masculine. So you have a masculine flavor to your sense of discipline um, and your sense of like responsibility and duty in the world. And Aquarius is all about independence. Um, it's about innovation, being different, being unconventional, um, kind of reforming. And it definitely goes back to those themes of how do we make the world a better place? Because Aquarius energy is about being a humanitarian. So you have a kind of a humanitarian bent to your sense of self-discipline and your sense of duty in the world. Um, on the flip side, Aquarius can be disorganized. It can be all over the place, chaotic. It can be unpredictable. Um, it can even be a little deviant and a little like rebellious. Like, like I'm not going to listen to like, I know better than the authority. And, um, it's in this, the third house and your third house is the house of, um, creativity of children, of pleasure, of sex. So you might have a little bit of a rebellious attitude towards those things. Like you want to make your own rules about those things. You want to 
like break the rules. Like what are the rules about sex and pleasure and having kids and being creative? Well, let's just throw them all out the window because I want to make up my own rules, live by my own code of ethics, but you might have a little bit of a struggle there because Saturn is a, a generational planet. So you have sort of the outside world imposing their views on you, but then internally you want to create your own rules. And then you've got the Libra flavor of like, oh crap, everybody's going to judge me. What should I do? So that's definitely an inner battle that you probably have. Absolutely. I I definitely see that theme in myself. Okay. Yep. And then we've got Uranus. So Uranus is another outer planet and Uranus represents um, a lot of the Aquarian energies of being an innovator of rebellion, of reformation, of, of humanitarianism. Um, And it's, it's the area of your life where you might experience sudden change. Like, like all of a sudden, like, like, boom, like something, something out of the blue happens, something crazy happens, good or bad. Like you win the lottery or, you know, you get in an accident or like you, you meet someone and it's just like kismet. Like you meet somebody on the street and they become your, your lover. So that's, that's Uranus. It's like those sudden spontaneous changes, or it's also the areas where you're going to reform and rebel and um, create change in your life. So you've got uh, Uranus in the sign of Capricorn. Capricorn is very, devoted, very dutiful. Um, it's also very cautious. So it's interesting that you have Aquarius in Capricorn because those two are like, those definitely butt heads. Like if you want to think of like that eccentricity, Capricorn is not eccentric. Capricorn is not an eccentric sign. It's, it's all about tradition. It's like, what, what have we done? What have we done for, for generations? Let's do that. But then Aquarius or then um, Uranus comes in is like, well, fuck that. We're just going (laughs) to, we don't need that. We don't need your traditions. Um, Now it's in the, it's in the fourth house. So Uranus in the fourth house, the fourth house is all about family. It's about home life. It's about your parents. It's um, it's just about your private, like your inner world, your inner psyche. So I could see Uranus here being like, you're the rebel of the family. Like, you want to fit in, but somehow you're just the black sheep. Like as much as you want to fit in, you are constantly like, um, and unpredictably going against the grain as much as you might try. So you have these battles like between, I really want to fit in, like family is really important to me, but then let me just move to a yurt in the woods. Like, just fuck it all. Like, like, I really, really want to like follow these traditions. And I, I love my family, but I also just want to run away from it all. Yep. Going through that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that's like a difficult, I could see that being a difficult placement for you um, having Uranus there. The, um, The next one is Neptune. So Neptune is also in the same place. So, so you've got Neptune conjunct Uranus literally within, let's see, 18 degrees, 16 minutes. Um, you've got it within nine minutes. So you've got degrees, minutes, and seconds or degrees, seconds, and minutes. I don't know. Either way, super duper close. Like they're literally within less than a degree of each other, meaning they were like, they were like, fucking at the time of your birth like uranus and neptune were like they were just banging it out at the time of your birth and neptune is a planet of dreams of intuition of like your mysticism your imagination and also even delusion so you've got this planet 
you've got the planet of Uranus, which is the planet of like rebellion and um, transformation or reformation rather and humanitarianism, having sex with Neptune, which is the planet of dreams and intuition and mysticism and imagination. And that creates like a totally new planet. Like they're like, this is their love child. So basically everything I just said to you about how you show up with your family. Now we have to add in the flavor of Neptune. So this is where you could become a little bit delusional about the way that things are, that you could feel very confused about, okay, the way that I'm experiencing this doesn't seem like it's an accurate representation of what's really going on. And how can I really trust the full picture of things? How can I get a clear viewpoint of these things? And it might feel a little bit like you're bound up, like you're tied up and you're held hostage by Capricorn, by, by tradition, by rules, by sense of duty to your family. Like how much do I owe to my family and how much do I owe to myself? Does it feel that way? Yeah. And the most healing that's come from any familial relationships with me has been reflecting on how I viewed certain situations and dynamics and shifting my own perception of them and just moving forward. You know, so when you said that piece about like uh, delusion and delusion, it, it carries like such a, an interesting weight to it, but it was, I was like emotionally distraught in some familial relationships based on my own perception, which, you know, later, whether I was wrong or right or whatever, I chose to redefine that perception so that I could have a relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I could see you going into sort of mental fantasies about the way you wish your family were, and then mm -hmm. being very heartbroken or disillusioned when you do see them for what they are, and then making some erratic changes when whenever you come out of that sort of dream. Definitely. And now just kind of like taking it as it is and like, okay, I have a choice here. I can have this relationship or I cannot. Do I want to just accept the way things are or do I want to let it go completely? And, you know, that was a choice I had to make a few years ago. Yeah. And I could see that being very heartbreaking for you, but also part of your karma to clear that out. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then we've got Pluto. Now Pluto is over here in the second house in the sign of Scorpio. And this is the only Scorpio you have in your chart. And I know we've joked a lot about you being having like a Scorpio energy. So this might be where it comes from. Um, Pluto is a slower moving planet. So this is one of the outer planets and it's about, it symbolizes transformation. It symbolizes power, um, your ability to like, uh, use your own power for your transformation, as well as to rebirth yourself. It represents your evolution as a person. Um, and so being in the sign of Scorpio, it's actually in its own, it's in the sign of its ruler. So um, Scorpio is ruled by Pluto. I don't know if I said that right, but Scorpio is ruled by Pluto. So they're like, you're getting um, an amplification of Pluto energy here. Whenever a planet is in its own sign, then it amplifies. So you've got this like big, bold Pluto Scorpio energy in the second house. And the second house is all about your material possessions, the things you own. It's about money, wealth, um, income, and so the way in which you transform is going to be around those things. You're going to transform your relationship with your wealth, with your money, your material goods. And you're here to show other people that as well, how to demonstrate through your own life. How does one transform that 
either that mindset or the actual tangible like things that you have, how, how can you be an embodiment of that transformation? That's super interesting to hear. Yep. Yep. Um, and then lastly, I'll talk about Chiron. So Chiron is up here. Chiron is an asteroid and it is the sign or it is the, the asteroid of the wounded healer. So we look at Chiron to tell us where we have experienced a wound so that we can then help others because mythologically Chiron was, was the wounded healer. He couldn't heal himself. So he, he was kind of bound to heal others and that there's a part of all of us where the there's like an inner wound that we strive for most of our life to heal, but that's also our gift. So it's kind of like, where is your gift? So for you, Chiron is actually in Virgo and it's in the first degree of Virgo right here, but it's also in the 11th house. So you have some sort of a wound around 11th house themes, which again is about that humanitarian future generations. Um, it could also be around friendships. How do I fit in? Do I, do I fit in? Where do I belong? It's a sense of belonging and um, forming alliances and like your sense of hopefulness. So you may have a wound around that. Like, can I actually ever belong? Like, can I actually make a difference? Can I, can I help the future of this planet or is it all just a waste of time? Because Virgo can be a little fatalistic because it's in Virgo. Virgo can be a little like, oh, well, it's just all fucked. Like, just forget it. Like if it's not, if it's not a hundred percent pure, then it's garbage. If there's like 1% or like 0.0001% pollution, then the planet is just going to combust. And so your sense of wounding around that can also be your gift because if you overcome that, you can help others see how, yeah, even though there is 1% pollution, I mean, there's probably more than 1% pollution, but like, even though this, this, this project we're working on, or, you know, you're in a group of people and like, they get discouraged. You can, you can use your gift to say, I, I too struggle with this. I too struggle with this sort of fatalistic attitude of like, if it's not all perfect and it's garbage, but look, let, like, let me show you something. Let me show you the progress we're actually making. That's your gift. Hmm. That's fascinating. <laughs> I'm taking so many notes. <laughs> Well, it's also recorded, so you'll be good. Um, yeah, so let me just see if there's anything else I wanted to cover for you. I mean, really the benefit of having a birth chart reading or understanding your astrology is to just confirm things about yourself. And I always tell people to take it with a grain of salt. It's not the end-all be-all. Human design, astrology, any of these things, they're not the end-all be-all. They're, they're supposed to be fun. You should take them in a lighthearted manner. You should not take it obsessively or compulsively or, you know, like as fatalistic. It's really not. And people often, people who are new to astrology or who are skeptical about astrology will ask, well, does that mean that um, uh, this is all I can ever be? No, it doesn't mean this is all. It doesn't mean like for you, Caitlin, that you're only ever going to be Libra, like that you're, you've got this Libra stellium. So you're only ever going to embody those, those qualities. It's about seeing where we're at and transcending that and evolving through that. So wherever you feel a deficit, try to take the opposite energy and see if you can grow and transform with that. Like, I think that astrology, just like any system is meant to take the themes from it 
and to add value to your life. So what I really love about astrology is this, this juxtaposition of opposites, like Libra being so diplomatic and peace, peace loving and, and all of those things. And then Aries, the opposite being like me, how can I be real? And those things are like medicine for each other and Scorpio Taurus, like, um, how can I plunge to the depths of my own soul, but then come back up and, and be in the world and like, and have material goods and like value money when like, I've also got this side that just wants to like, um, just be like die and be reborn and like read poetry and be moody all day. Like, how can I have both? <laughs> Cause I'm so Scorpio, but I'm like, I just want to just, just die. I just want to die in the bath and just like, just, just, just kill me. Like, like what is life, you know? And it's like, there's this beauty and there's this rawness in this, but then I need to, I need more Taurus in my life because I need to just like one foot in front of the other, like keep going. Like not everything has to be this big drama. And I've learned through life and I'm continuing to learn to pull in those, those kind of like counterbalancing aspects. So that's my hope for the listeners is that they can see how, um, whatever their themes are in life, how we can use a little bit of the opposite energy to balance us out. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, one of my favorite things that, uh, one of my teachers said that is not a super uncommon thought, but take what you need and leave the rest. So at certain times over the years, looking at my astrological information or getting a reading or something, there are some things that I'm like, Oh, this isn't serving me right now. And like, I will leave that. And I will take the things that are feeling empowering or inspiring or exciting to me and work with that or focus on that. And then maybe a couple of years later, I'll come across that part again that I didn't, I didn't like, or wasn't ready for. And then I'm now finding that piece inspiring or expansive to where I'm at currently. So, you know, the whole chart may not serve you today, but there are pieces that will. And then the other part is, you know, the piece that Evelyn said about confirming. It is confirming because there are certain parts. And I know I have this where there are certain parts of my personality that I'm like, is this like, is this a shadow? Like, am I supposed to, like, am I allowed to be like this? Like, is this, should I be like something else? You know, like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to like own a piece of yourself. And then when you hear it echoed back to you, like from the stars, it's like, oh no. Okay. Yeah. This is just who I am. And I can, I can own this. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Love it. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up for today. And so for the listeners, if you are wanting more information about astrology or human design, I will just say off the bat that I I do not give readings. I do not give public readings anymore. I used to, but my focus now is primarily on working with women one-on-one in their relationships or with couples in their relationships. So this is kind of a one-off thing just to show you a little bit more about how you might want to go about this for yourself. and, And also just to remind you to take all of this like super lightly. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Insatiable Woman podcast. We hope you found it educational and entertaining. If you are not already a member of the Insatiable Woman Facebook community, please head to the link in the show notes and join us there. We are having so much fun connecting with you. And as always, if you got value out of this episode, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts as that helps other listeners find the show. And it enters you to win a free relationship coaching session with Caitlin and I. 
All you have to do is screenshot your review and DM it to us on Instagram. Until next time, we'll see you soon and take care. Thank you.